Well, good morning. We're in this new series uh, examining the book of Ephesians, entitled Walking as One, the series is called. Brief recap, this letter is believed to have been written by the Apostle Paul about AD 62 while he was in prison in Rome. BibleGateway.com says the letter to the Ephesians is the great letter of Paul's about the church. It deals, however, not so much with a congregation in the city of Ephesus in Asia Minor as with the worldwide church, the head of which is Christ, the purpose of which is to be the instrument for making God's plan of salvation known throughout the universe. If you were able to join us last week online or catch up on demand during the week, you may recall that Tony, in commencing this series in Ephesians, summarised the two main sections as chapters 1 to 3, God's grace story towards us, and then chapters 4 to 6 as our response or obedience to that grace story. And this morning I'm going to deal with the first part of that second section of chapters 4 to 6, our response or obedience to the grace story of God towards us. And I'm going to read to you from Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 to 12, and uh, from my Bible, and you can follow along from one if you have one there, and you know that if you don't have a Bible at home, you can always request a free one from the church by going into the um, online uh, tabs there. So Ephesians 4, 1 to 12, and I'm reading from the New King James translation. I, therefore, the prisoner of the Lord beseech you in, to walk worthy of the calling with which you are called, with all lowliness and gentleness, with long-suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavouring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, and just as you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all, through all, and in you all. But to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, he says, when he ascended on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts to men. Now, this he ascended, what does it mean? But he also first descended into the lower parts of the earth. He who has descended is also the one who ascended far above all heavens that he might fill all things. And he gave himself, he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. And what I want to do this morning is I want to, with you, to take a magnifying glass to these, this text so that we can see what they have to say for us. But through three particular lens, different lens or ways of seeing. Firstly, the lens of the head, our minds to know, to have knowledge of, to understand. Then the lens of the heart, where we look to feel, to connect, to be growing in our relationship with God and others. And then finally, the lens of the hands to do the application of that knowledge and connection. So firstly, the lens of the head. What are the key knowledge points for us? 
Firstly, that God has broken down every barrier that has separated us. And he's now inviting us into a diverse community that is unified by its devotion to Jesus and each other. The knowing, the knowing will better equip us as saints. And ignorance is not bliss when it comes to the matter of God's grace story towards us. And so commencing from the first verse of Ephesians. And Paul says, I therefore, and now just pausing for a moment, whenever you come across the word therefore in the Bible, we have to understand that it's therefore a reason. And this therefore is, if we look back to the chapter immediately preceding this, chapter 3, we find that Paul says this, Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly, above all that we ask or think, according to the power that works in us, to him be the glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations, forever and ever. Amen. This is a praise statement. Paul bursts out with this and then he comes to say, therefore, and we, the rest of this text that we're going to look at this morning. And some of you will recognise that that's often used as a benediction in church. So Paul says, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, and he's in prison in Rome for his Christian behaviour. And in fact, later on in the same letter, chapter 6, verse 20, he says, I'm an ambassador in chains. Then he goes on to say, as the prisoner of the Lord, I beseech, and that's just a, an old word that means in earnestly entreat, almost to beg. You, and he's talking to the Christians at Ephesus, but as we read, we read this, we ought to read it as written to us. So he, the prisoner of the Lord beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called. So when we really understand how much God did for us, we will naturally want to serve and obey him out of gratitude. And we need to remember that we cannot and do not walk worthily so that God will love us, but because he does love us. It is motivation out of gratitude, not out of a desire to earn merit. And then verse 2 says, with all lowliness and gentleness. A worthy walk before God will be marked by lowliness and gentleness, not a pushy desire to defend our own rights and advance our own agenda. And then that same line says, with long-suffering. So long-suffering is a characteristic of a forgiving, generous heart. Christosom, who was a third-century Christian bishop of Constantinople, defined long-suffering as the spirit that has the power to take revenge but never does. Spirit that has the power to take revenge but never does. That's what long-suffering is. And then it continues, bearing with one another in love. This is about remaining patient and attentive to love God and others. You see, this is necessary so that the inevitable misunderstandings and wrongs that occur between people in God's family will not work against God's purpose of bringing all things together in Jesus. And then verse 3, endeavouring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. 
And as we look at this, we see that God has created this unity by his spirit. Our duty is to recognise it and keep it. It is not something we create by structural change or even legislative action. Note, unity is not uniformity. Unity is a gift from God as a result of our salvation. Uniformity, however, is where everything looks the same and all aspects of church life are the same. This is a spiritual unity that Paul's talking about, not a structural or denominational unity. And proof of this, that it can occur, is the quick fellowship possible among Christians of different races, nationalities, languages and economic classes. The unity transcends all those divisions. Charles Haddon Spurgeon, who was a 19th century preacher in London in the United Kingdom, said this, We want unity in the truth of God through the Spirit of God. This let us seek after. Let us live near to Christ, for this is the best way of promoting unity. Divisions in churches never begin with those full of love to the Saviour. And then we continue on in verse 4. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. And as we sort of take the lens to this, we see there is one body. This is the spiritual body of Christ, the church. And the Greek word behind all this is just a gathering of people made up in Paul's time of Jews and everybody who wasn't a Jew were called Gentiles. There is one body and then he goes to say and one spirit and the word behind this two literally means a blast of air, a breath, that which enlivens, puts life in things. And this is a reference to the third person of the Godhead, usually referred to in the New Testament as Holy Spirit who like Christ Jesus and like the Father God dwells or lives in Christian hearts. And Paul says, just as you were called in one hope of your calling, and this is the hope of eternal life in Christ, our inheritance in Christ. In one hope means resulting from your being called into his kingdom. In earlier in Ephesians, in verse 13 of chapter 2, Paul says, but now in Christ Jesus, you who once far off have been brought near by the blood of Jesus Christ. And then he says, one Lord. This is Jesus of Nazareth, who being both fully God and fully man, gave himself as the once and for all sacrifice on a Roman cross. Thus paying for us the penalty of our sins and defeating the power of death by rising on the third day, and being established as Lord and now seated at the right hand of God the Father. One Lord. And then Paul says, there's one faith. Faith, which in this text has its usual meaning of saving trust, our trust in Jesus, which saves us. And back in chapter 2, of verses 8 and 9, Paul says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. So it is 
by the indwelling or the living in our hearts of Christ by faith that the spiritual unity of Christians is effected, firstly and primarily with Christ and secondly with one another. So there's one Lord, one faith and one baptism. This is the baptism spoken of in the Great Commission. And in the end of uh, Matthew's Gospel, in verses 19 and 20 of uh, chapter 28, we read this. And Jesus came and spoke to them, his disciples, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. Simply put, baptism is the practice by which believers in Christ enter into the fellowship of the local church. Then Paul goes on in verse 6, one God and Father of all. That the fact that there is one God is the voice of all creation and the revelation, God's word. God the Father dwells in all believers as his holy, as his holy temple, by his spirit and by his grace. And Paul has already mentioned that Jesus and the Holy Spirit and now he completes what we call the Trinity. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, or as I like to call it, the triunity of heaven. Now, when I started this, I stated at the beginning that we are being called into a diverse community. So the question arises, how can you have diversity and yet unity? It seems like a bit of a conundrum or even oxymoron. But however, the Trinity is a model of this. God the Father... God the Son, Jesus, and God the Holy Spirit, all coexisting, all having diverse roles, and yet a, a perfect unity, the Trinity. So those are the key aspects of knowledge of the basis of oneness or unity in the church, and these will put us on the same page for understanding what God has done for us. Now to the heart of the matter to feel and relate and sense oneness in the church and unity, to bring from here to here, which sometimes is a huge different a distance. The first five and a half verses that we've just dealt with put us in a frame of mind, head knowledge, to now grow into this unity, to be growing in our connection with God and one another. So verse 6, the second half, says who is above all when it's talking about God, who is above all. God is supreme. We use the word omnipotent, which means all-powerful. Secondly, he is sovereign, ruler. King of kings is another phrase that's used. He presides over all things. Another term is omniscient, God-knowing, all-knowing, Lord of lords. You see, we're in good hands. He's above all and he's through all. God pervades all that we see. In Romans 1, right at the beginning, 19 and 20, Paul says, because what may be known of God is manifest or made clear in them, for God has shown it to them, for since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen. 
by crea- in creation, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. So he's above all and through all and in you all. This talks of the union, which is a grace gift that God exists between God and his people, freely given by God, brought about by the Holy Spirit being given to us. In Acts 2.38, we read, Then Peter said to them, Repent and let every one of you be baptised in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of Holy Spirit. Head, to know and understand, then heart, to feel and connect, and now hands, to respond. Our response should be to allow the gospel to shape our behaviour toward ourselves, God and others. So the process is, through knowing who we are in Christ, our head knowledge, and what he has done for us as we feel the heart's involvement and respond by doing our hands-on approach. Verse 7 says, But to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Now, grace is the free, unmerited giving of God. No one deserves or has earned or could earn any of what God has done for us or given to us, including spiritual gifts. We all have grace given to us according to the measure of Jesus' gift, not our worthiness. And this is the basis for God's distribution of spiritual gifts through his church. In, in Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 12, 7, we read, but the manifestation or the um, giving of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. So whatever gifts we have are for the profit of all. And then I want to jump ahead to verse 11 for due to time considerations. And here Paul puts hands to his remarks that have proceeded in verses 1 to 7. Paul lists spiritual gifts as leadership gifts here. Verse 11, and he he himself gave some to be apostles. Those first century apostles were used to provide a foundation and we have that preserved as the New Testament. That's the foundation. Uh, Apostles, that is the gifting, not the title of apostle today, are special ambassadors of God's work, though not in the same authoritative sense of the first century apostles. And he gave some to be prophets who speak forth words from God in complete consistency with the foundation of the Old and New Testaments. And he, he himself gave some to be evangelists who are specifically gifted to preach the good news of salvation in Jesus Christ. And some pastors and teachers, or as some of the Greek uh, Scripts say pastor teachers as one kind of connected word, one office with two descriptive titles. These people shepherd the flock of God primarily, though not exclusively, through the teaching of the word of God, through his word, from his word. We need to remind ourselves that these gifts are given at the discretion of Jesus working through the Holy Spirit. In uh, 1 Corinthians 12, 11, it says, But one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually 
as he, the Spirit, wills. And these are given, as it says in verse 12, for the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry. Now the purpose of these gifts of leadership, that's those uh, of um, prophets, evangelists, pastor teachers and apostles, is for the saints that might be equipped for the work of ministry or service. Pastor teachers are not hired servants to do the ministry of the church. The people do the ministry. People, the saints, do the work of ministry. Leaders in the church have the responsibility to equip people to serve and to direct their service as God leads. And this is all for the purpose of edifying the body of Christ as he continues on. And edifying simply means providing moral or spiritual and intellectual instruction so that the body of Christ would be equipped or built up, expanded and strengthened and been able to carry out its mission. Elsewhere, and time doesn't permit me to cover this today, Paul describes other spiritual gifts given by the Holy Spirit. They include faith, wisdom, knowledge, giving, healing, uh, miracles, distinguishing between spirits, speaking in other tongues, interpretation of tongues, administration and helps. The Old Testament also describes creative communication as a gifting from God. And my belief is that if a church desires to be obedient to God's will for that community, and surely that's the desire of all local church gatherings, or should be, God will gift to those believers the necessary spiritual gifts to enable it to function according to his will and purpose. And if I were to use the analogy of, say, a motor vehicle, I could say it would have all the necessary components to enable it to fire on all cylinders and power the vehicle appropriately for purpose and direction. If, say, it was a Lamborghini Hurricane, it would be gifted by its designers with a very powerful V10 engine and running gear to match. If, however, it was a Mazda CX-3, it would have comfort and economy as its design. So to summarise... Firstly, head knowledge equips us to understand the unity that God invites us into. And secondly, our hearts allow us to connect in unity by feeling the immense effort God has gone to to enable a unity to exist in the church. And thirdly, our hands-on allows the gospel to shape this unity in the body, the outworking of head and heart. And the challenge... I guess to us this morning is to self-check ourselves against these passages. Where are we at individually? Because it's where we're at individually that will contribute to where the body is as in a total. Firstly, have you a personal knowledge of the grace extended to us through Jesus? If not, and you would like to talk to somebody about this, Go on to the online chat to a host this morning and, and that can be done privately. Secondly, do you feel feel part of the body of Christ in a local gathering? I mean, this is very difficult in COVID-19 time, but are you ready to connect when the time opens up? Maybe September 6th? Who's not looking forward to that? 
And then the final question is, are you a part of the ministry of the local church? Have you an understanding of your spiritual gifting and maybe your ministry role? If not, go on to info at doorofhope.org for info regarding the next spiritual gifts course. So let me pray for you as we wind up this part. Father God, I want to thank you for your word that gives us knowledge, for your word that gives us connection, and for your word that gives us direction as we commit to following through on your commands to us. I simply pray that each hearer this morning will have something new to uh, latch on to as they seek to be a part of this body of Christ, the Universal Church. Pray this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.